Hello, and welcome to the Equestrian Mums Club podcast. We're your hosts, Sophie Conway and Katie Allen-Clark, avid equestrians and recent first-time mums. Join us and a herd of other guests as we discuss the wild ride of parenthood and horse care together. Now it's time to take up the reins and walk on into our next episode. I will kick off. So um, welcome to today's um, episode of the Equestrian Mums Club podcast. We are here with a lady that we know and have met and were incredibly impressed with on many different levels when we did meet her. Um, And so we've asked her to come and speak to us today because we think that she's quite an inspiration. Um, She is called Katie Powell. She runs Nodwood House Equine, which she set up herself. And um, she's also um, a wonderful mother of three. I met her when I was pregnant and nervous and, you know, just watching her family and the way the kids are and how polite and lovely they are. I would, would, would just want to talk to you today, Katie, about how you how you bring them up and your past. So welcome, Katie. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. <laughs> Can you, Katie, for the, for the listeners please just kind of introduce yourself, your, you know, your, your family and where you are and what you do in a, in a nutshell. Yeah, um, might be quite a large nutshell, um, but I, I will be relatively brief. Um, so, hi, I'm Katie Powell. Um, I run uh, Nodwood House Equine that's based in Surrey, um, not far from uh, sort of Guildford Way. We're very lucky we're surrounded by beautiful countryside, but have great access links. Um, so we moved here a number of years ago now and we built the equestrian centre from scratch. There's literally fields, nothing here. Um, and I moved here with my lovely husband, uh, Anthony, and my three slightly smaller children at the time. They're now currently 14, 11 and 8. Um, two girls and a boy in the middle. Um, I've spent many years uh, in the city before I made a switch into the equestrian um, industry, um, but I've ridden all my life. I started riding at the age of four. I uh, evented mainly, um, sort of put my brave pants on and did a couple of intermediates, but that was sort of where I topped out on my eventing days. Um, in more recent years, all my riding has focused mainly on dressage um, and in um, at this stage, my focus very much dressage riding, and that's predominantly what I coach. So I've moved from um, a city life where we were based in London, and I travelled all over the world um, with my job. I was in financial media um, and uh, sort of board level roles, so lots of responsibility um, and high high stress. But my passion was always the horses. So how did I? Creator lifestyle, um, where I could couple my passion with a business, and that was really my ambition, and that's always really been my ambition, um, and that's what we set about to achieve when we set up Northwood as a equestrian and rehabilitation centre, um, which we moved to in 2019, um, a very cold December, which we moved in, and a few years later, we have a thriving and successful. Uh, business. So um, that's where we are at this precise moment in time. So it's been quite a journey over the last few years, um, but one that has been um, really, really interesting. 
Katie, honestly, I am... I'm actually a little bit shocked that I didn't know you were eventing first. Like, how how, how did the uh, switch from eventing to dressage go? Did you just decide that I'm not brave enough for this anymore? Or, yeah, wh- why did you decide to go down the dressage pony route? I think eventers, you know, we, we all sort of say, well, it's all about the cross-country. Let's be honest, that's why we do it, right? Or that's why I did it. Um, and the speed, the adrenaline. Um, but the dressage discipline I always loved. And most eventers would go, oh, let's just get through the dressage bit. Uh, but for me, it was something I always loved. And I think it's the foundation of all riding. Um, and I really do believe that. I, mean, I think initially I was time poor. And I think, could I really justify being away for sort of four days to do an event halfway across the country? Um, not so much like but just having the time to do it. So I refocused on I can ride a five and a half minute test and I can do that and I can still manage to juggle my lifestyle. So there was a bit of that actually. There was this element of one day versus, you know, a much shorter period of time I can still compete and still do what I love. Um but I think dressage really gets into your blood. I mean it's sort of it gets under your skin and, and then everything becomes about dressage. So, I mean, the people will think I'm nuts, right? Because I was talking to someone the other day and they don't know. <laughs> they think I'm nuts. I do. <laughs> I think you're nuts. I'm, I'm, I'm useless. <laughs> we, were, we, were buying, uh, we were looking to buy a judge's box to go into our new, well, into a, our upgraded arena, which is already pretty amazing. But we're just adding some bits to it. And one of them is a judge's box. And the guy in the shop thought I was nuts. He had absolutely no idea what dressage was. And there I was trying to explain to him about what it is that we do. And I'm sure he still doesn't understand. But anyway, um, I, uh, yeah, so to answer your question, it, it was because um, I love it. You've got to love it. Uh, but secondly, it was the time. Can I commit this level of time for the eventers? You know, the, the fitting program alone, the, um, you'd really need to run, what, two or three of them and have a youngster coming through. Um, so I admire people that are able to do that. Um, but for me, I made a switch and a number of years ago now. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's useful to have done the eventing piece. It makes you a, a different sort of rider. So, Katie, I I did know, I, I did know that you used to event um, and, I, you know, I, I love eventing. That's what I really really love doing and if I could get any better at the dressage then I would do it better and I just I promise and I I don't know if you'll still have me but I know we talked about me coming down for a few days and staying in that amazing place that Airbnb you've got and having some lessons with you so you might be able to help me one day anytime um so but the the question in and this is kind of in a similar vein but very very different you changed from venting to dressage you also changed careers and you had you know you were a high-flying business lady in um in the city like you said you did all this traveling and then you've moved and made equestrian equestrianism your career what was the what was your thinking behind that and were the kids a big part of that decision making um no they were actually quite tiny at the time for me this was always a lifelong plan how do I do what I love to do um, and 
not have to be a slave to the corporate world? Now that's, that's quite a big question, isn't it? How do you get there? How do you do it? And I, I think for me was, what is it that I want to do? Which part of the equestrian industry am I interested in? Where do I not have the skills? Where do I need to go and learn stuff? How long will that take me? What does my business plan look like? So it was very much through the lens of how to set up any other business. You need to really think about, you know, what is it I want to achieve? How am I going to get there? Um, what skills do I need to acquire along the way? So I set out that was my framework. Um, and um, I'm really, really passionate about horses and always have been. Um, but if I think there's a sort of view that if you haven't been in it since you were sort of 16, then you don't know. So that's, I would really question that. I think when you've been around horses and you've managed horses and you've had your own and you've done a huge amount with them, then you, you can, you can learn new skills. And I think when you develop any business, you bring in experts as well. Um, you can't be good at absolutely everything. So, um, Anyway, so I said about really investing a lot of time in learning um, about uh, certain areas. I spent a lot of time with vets and physios. Um, I did a lot of rehab um, studying uh, over many years. This wasn't just wave of magic wand and, you know, 18 months later, you're qualified as such. Uh, I took myself all the way through my BHS exams on stage four BHS qualified. Um, I've uh, embarked on all my coaching examinations through the BHS and uh, through British Dressage. So I'm a British Dressage recognised coach. I'm also a youth qualified coach. Um, and I'm working on my um, assessor to become a coach assessor. Uh, that's something I'm doing at the moment. Um, and in the future, I may look towards doing my judging exam. So for me, it's about progress you know continuation you've got to do one building block to do the next to do the next to do the next um but you've got to have a really clear end goal and katie i was going to ask you so it it sounds to me like you've just got a real love for learning through like you you've done you've achieved so much in actually quite a short period of time really but was there ever a point where you thought actually I'm turning what was my hobby and my passion into effectively my job. Am I going to lose the love for it? Did you ever have that worry? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think that has definitely happened on this journey at certain points where you're so invested. So, for example, I may have had like 20 client horses. My client, my horses are put to one side because your focus is very much on client horses um, because they've obviously taken the time and you know, you're responsible for them. So there have been times through this journey where you thought, wow, you know, I'm not actually doing enough. I'm not doing what I wanted to do. Um, and that's where more recently I've scaled it down so I can focus much more on my horses. Um, I've sort of become a victim of your own success in a way, um, which is lovely, but you do have to make sure that you prioritise what you do want. Otherwise, um, I think when you have a certain personality style, you end up giving everyone else. You have to make sure um, you are able to achieve what you want to do. So, it, it, yeah, so basically I set out a goal, what do I want to achieve, and then I work my way backwards how I would get there. 
And this involved, you know, studying on the train on the way to London, studying on an aircraft, you know. Um, it, it was a, a long, a, a mid-term plan um, to upskill and change um, what I was doing. It sounds quite familiar because we're actually having to do a lot of the same here, you know, with, with, with this. This is only our our part-time passion, but we're having to refocus all the time because we are so time poor trying to do this and support other mums in the industry as well as look after kids, look after horses, look after dogs, husbands, work, all of that sort of jazz. So totally understand what you're saying there. Yeah, it's it's difficult. It really is. But you do, I think, I think now my children are older, like my oldest now is 14. And, you know, the people always say that, Keisha, the quiet road goes really quickly. And I'm like, oh, you know, not when you're in it and you're sleep deprived. You think, God, blimey, you know, I, I can't, you can't imagine the next two years. But you do come out of that and suddenly they're 14 and uh, they're their own young lady. And it gave them a heartbeat. It really does. Um, but I'm, I am now being able to enjoy everything that we've done and reap the benefits. So I think in the early days when you're setting up a business where you've got babies or, or toddlers and you're in it, it's almost like you can't escape anything. You've got so many pressures. My view would be if there, if it's at all possible to pause even for five minutes and just take a breath and, and really think about what you've achieved. And that's really powerful. I was with one of my horses the other day and you know what it's like. You're normally in a rush. You're like, put the rugs on, you know, pick out the feet, whatever it is you're doing. And I actually just stood in the stable for five minutes and stroked his eyelids. That sounds really weird. But, and he just nuzzled into me and I thought, wow, you know, he doesn't know I've got to rush and go and pick the kids up. And that was a really special moment. And it was, what, three minutes of his day. Um, but actually it was, it was, I felt really, it was just a really nice um, moment because we're always, always rushing. Katie, I resonate with what you've just said so much. I, and you're absolutely right. I think that just, like you said, even if it's five minutes, just set it aside each day to take a breath, go and stroke or pat your horse or sit on the floor with your baby and play with them and just stop rushing around all the time. It's so true. When um, people used to say, you must enjoy every moment, you think, I've got puked down the top. I can't even go to the toilet without someone, you know, wanting me and you're telling me to enjoy it. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> but I have, and it's maybe it's taken me 14 years, but I have finally, finally just slowed down a bit and said, whoa, hang on a sec. You, there are these little micro moments that happen during the day that are actually really special. And I think put down that ruddy phone, stop looking at Facebook and look at what's in front of you because easy for me to say I know but I I think it is quite no it's it's the same that micro moments comment that you said is is it's true for anybody even if you're just walking around a park like with you know and the baby's finally gone to sleep or you've had five minutes to actually put paint your horse's hooves like, I love doing that <laughs> when you've got to sleep yeah exactly um, I I just wanted to go back, Katie, to um, when you worked in London and you had 
Molly, who is your oldest now, and she's 14, um, so this would have been 14 years ago. As a first-time mum, and, you know, 14 years ago, was it the landscape was different and the way women were treated was different. It's, we're hopefully going in the right direction with everything. But did, did you feel any pressure to go back to work? And did you ever get the mum guilt thing? Oh, God, yes. God, where do I start with this? So um, I was working for a FTSE 10 company um, and I was pretty much as senior as you could get. Um, I was also a young, still youngish, not that old, my lines might be showing, um, female. Um, interestingly, whilst I was on maternity leave, of which I boldly said, I'll be back in three months. I'll be back in three, I, three months when, you know, like that. And suddenly I was like, oh my God, I can't go back here. Um, and I did take, I think, seven or eight months and I went back to my whole organisation had been reorganised well, so I've been on maternity leave. And um, another person who was actually female had decided to take over my entire area. Um, all those politics and rubbish that goes on whilst your back's turned um, is quite uh, frustrating, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that, uh, the politics at play in, in big corporates. So I, I did go back and I to have a nanny because I couldn't be in all those different places and um, and be there for Molly. Unfortunately, that was was the case. And I'll be brutally honest with you, I absolutely hated it. I remember the first day I cried all the way to London on the train. Um, I got back uh, quite late at night, and the nanny would just not even want to pass Molly over, and I just I found it heart wrenching. Um, and it was. A really, really tough time. Um, there was guilt. Was I doing my job good, well enough? My whole area was being taken over. We'd had a reorganisation. Um, I hated leaving her, but at the same time, I wanted to have some freedom back and drink a glass of wine without being disturbed. You know, all of that stuff was happening. I'm just warning you, we will cry because we cry at pretty much every guest. Um, but... I, I'm just feeling I'm feeling all the emotions for you right now. <laughs> the hormones are still raging apparently. <laughs> it's very, it's, it is really tough, mate. I think sometimes on on media, social media, you get you get a view that the mum just pops back to their size eight, whatever they were, um, and they put their suit back on and off they go to work and everything's fine. Now that may be the case for some people. Um, it certainly wasn't the case for me. I felt guilty um, and I found that journey quite difficult. I did it um, and at that time I'd also developed another business which went on to be very successful um, and I'd sort of been setting that up on maternity leave with Molly. Yeah, not one for sitting around uh, hoping something's going to come to me. I think that's the other thing. I think you, you really do have to keep occupied with things that interest you I think that's really important one thing that I was going to ask you is we've we've sort of touched on you going back to work after having Molly but where's Anthony in all this because I feel like we, we've met him he's such a lovely I hate this phrase but hands-on dad he's so present when he's with them like we've 
watching him is just so beautiful. But where where was he in the early days with Molly? So he was also in the city in the early days with Molly. Um, and he was working for an investment bank. Um, so quite, quite uh, well, very long hours in investment banking. Um, and uh, so we were both on the train and both commuting and both traveling. So he, he was coming back at a similar time to me. And actually, I have to say, he, he didn't enjoy it either. He didn't like the whole nanny thing. He just, he found that quite, quite challenging. Um, and at that stage, we had a conversation about the other business I was in the process of setting up. And then about probably about a year after Molly was born, that's when I decided to step away from the city. Um, and we both, uh, and, and then um, we both went into this other business that I set up, both Anthony and I. Um, unfortunately, Anthony I think, had a bit of a burnout in the city and suffered from chronic fatigue for a few years, whilst Freddie, number two, was, was little. So we dealt with quite a lot of things going through with that. Um, and during Freddie, um, when he was tiny, that's when I started developing uh, all my equestrian um, skills and starting to do all my learning through through his early stages. Um, meanwhile, Anthony was um, also coming out of the city, based mainly for, for health reasons. I think he would he found um, that stage really quite tricky. I think if you asked him, he would probably say he doesn't really remember some of those earlier stages, which is, um, you know, not not ideal. But I think the reality is, behind closed doors in any family, people are battling lots of different things. Um, and uh, that's why it's so important to to cherish what we do have. Yeah, and and like you said, take stock as well and realise that before it happens, like you said before, take those little moments. There will be so many people, there will be so many people listening to this, hopefully mums and dads, and thinking, God, yeah, I could be in that position as well. You know, like down the line at some point. And it, it's really important to look after each other. I think it's very, it's very easy to focus all your efforts and energy on the children. But actually, you were together as husband and wife or partners or whatever it is before the children arrived. And you, you know, through our marriage, um, there's been ups and downs on both sides. Um, but Anthony had a, a down period in that, in that stage and, and obviously it was my job to support him not saying it was easy because obviously he had at that point two small children and me doing a career change um, but you've got a team, you've got to be in it together and you've got to support each other's passions and I have to say Anthony's been amazing, he's supported me all the way through this Yeah. and I, I couldn't have done it without him and like Katie said um, like KAC said <laughs> she is, um, he is Seeing him with the kids is amazing, and the way how how present he is with them, and how you know how much they adore both of you, is really lovely to see. Talking of the kids, um, so fast forward now to now, um, they all ride, don't they? And Molly is 
Molly has, um, not only is she an unbelievably talented young rider, but she's also built an amazing following on Instagram and socials. Um, and I just, I wanted to touch on this because it's something that scares me now a little, little bit. I've got a daughter and it's, it's unavoidable for the future. But how do you, how do you help to protect them from social? And this is a genuine interest question. I think that's really interesting because you, you use the word protect. I, I look at it in a slightly different way in the sense that we have this level of trust. And I've never restricted access to things with them. But we have absolutely spoken about what's right and what's wrong. And the reality is you cannot protect them from stuff that's there. If they want to find something, they will find it, I think. Because it's, it, if it's not on their phone, it'll be on their friend's phone. And I definitely, in the very early stages with Molly, when iPads were probably just coming out, you're like, oh no, you mustn't have it, you mustn't use it. But we've got to be honest, kids are born pretty much with some sort of device in their hand. So I think it's more about how do they respect it and how do we trust them not to be looking at stuff or being looking at stuff they shouldn't or talking to people they shouldn't. And I think that really does come down to open and honest conversations that we've had on a regular basis. Don't get me wrong, we have a filter on our system at home. Stuff can't get through that they shouldn't be looking at, but it doesn't stop, you know, them perhaps having chats with people online that you don't want them talking to. So I think it's making them really aware of it, knowing that when we say it's bedtime, those items get switched off and put down. If they don't, I am quite strict, they get confiscated. So they learn to respect that they're allowed it for a period of time, and then it has to be switched off. No phones at the table. We always have dinner every single night as a family unit. And I don't want to see a mobile phone. They, um, there's boundaries, basically. Yeah, I think what you said about the trust element, that's the key, isn't it, really? If they trust you enough to tell you what's happening and to keep make sure that if you, as long as you know, that's better than anybody going behind going going off and doing it on their own because that's so much more dangerous yeah and I think they're going to anyway I think we're, <laughs> we're also really present in their lives you know it's it and we're very lucky to be able to do that and this was part of the lifestyle change and the business change yeah we Auntie and I collect them pretty much every day from school one of us will do the school drop off one of us will do the pickup we have a chat in the car you know, we're very present we're very there um, and I think that's really important. And I know that not everyone could be in that same position, but yeah, the, the trust piece is really important. The, uh, I do on occasions check their phones. I do have a little look through. Um, not so much with Molly, but with Poppy being only eight. Um, but you cannot get away from it. And I think when we, when we are constantly, let's be honest, we pick up our phones, we're checking, we're probably checking something. Like, you know, our emails have come in or a business question or someone wants to ask me about, uh, I had a call earlier about rehabilitation um, query and could I help them with something specific about their horse. So we're checking that all the time. So for us to then say to our children, you can't use it, would be almost contradictory. Yeah. I was going to say, Katie, I find that really hard myself in that I really don't want to program Rafe to think that a phone is always attached to your hand but 
it is really, really difficult when, like you say, you're trying to be with them, be present, but also run a business at the same time on the side, run um, like your lives and house admin and, you know, speaking to people that are coming to do the garden or fix the boiler or whatever it happens to be. It's just so hard to not to not have that phone in your hand, but maybe setting those allotted times where you're just totally focused on family is the way forward. Yeah, and, and in our in our situation, it's dinner times, no phones, um, bedtime. They're all they're switched off, and and there are parameters, and I think that's really important. But you know, we can't get away from the fact. Like Molly's gone on a school trip today, and I said to her, I said, "Have you got a notebook?" And she's like, "Mummy, we will write our notes on our phone." I was like, "Oh yes, of course you will." Uh, that made me feel about nine hundred and sixty. Um, but that's a, you know, that is the response. Uh, the kids will use the phones for their notes and they think I'm nuts if they think I've got a notebook. I, look, can I just say, right, all of my stuff is still written down in everything I do. <laughs> I can't, I'm, I'm like an old lady. I told you I've got a blanket, a notebook, a pen. <laughs> um, Katie, I... Um, I've been thinking, I was thinking about this in the week and I really wanted to ask you, and I'd love to ask Anthony as well, actually. If you could, if say Molly came to you and she was like, or any of them really, and they were like, mum, I um, I can't decide if I want to go and be a lawyer in London or if I want to pursue a career in equestrianism. How would you respond to that? Um... Well, funny enough, we had lots of conversations with Molly. Um, she's sort of starting to think about her A levels. Um, and my answer, but my answer is the same for all three of my children. Do what you love. And that's it. It's as simple as that. Do what you're passionate about. Because then it doesn't become a job, per se. Well, obviously it is, but you, you've got to love it. You've got to have that passion and, and spark. You're going to be doing it for a long time, but also do something that has a level of flexibility perhaps I think we're living in a different age and world now not so much tied to your desk interestingly um Molly has got two chosen careers three possibly um at the moment and obviously things can change uh she is interested in being a professional rider uh being an equine vet or doing something creative so I admire all of those. Uh, so her A-level choices will probably be biology, chemistry and photography. So if she does go to vet school, fantastic. If she does pursue professional riding, fantastic. Um, you know, if she does pursue, she's very uh, creative, artistically creative. So that's also another option. So at this point, don't narrow it down too much. Do do what you love. Um, and do have a form of a goal, you know, let's have, you know, and she, this is what she, what she says, I mean, you know, her ideal world would be to, to become a vet and do some sort of team stuff or, or even ride at that sort of level, um, for teams with, but let's be honest, horses are expensive. Um, and, um, you know, there are, you could count the number of professional riders on 
you know, maybe two hands. So I think you've got to be realistic. Um, so that's my advice to all of my children is do what you love. And Katie, just asking you about that, we've talked a lot about um, Molly, but what what interests Freddie and Poppy? Like what what do they like as little people? Oh, Freddie is uh, massively into any sport. Uh, football and golf are his favourites. Um, he's also done really well with riding. He went to Pony Club Camp last year on a gorgeous lone pony called James. And um, by the end of his week, he was uh, doing cross country and all sorts. And he's a really loving, happy boy. Um, as long as he's not too far away from food, sport and his computer. Then he's happy. Um, boys, I find very, uh, they're not very complicated. I think girls can be a little bit more complex um, at this stage anyway. Um, but he's a delight and he is very uh, protective of his sisters and they have a very good relationship. Poppy is our firecracker. Um, she is uh, certainly not a shrinking violet. And you know when Poppy has walked into a room. Um, hugely bright and never dull. Uh, she is uh, confident and loves her riding and her pony is as sassy as she is. <laughs> that, I think I've met that pony, haven't I? Oh, you have. Um, yeah. And she just started her BD uh, sort of pathway and she started doing affiliated competitions and she loves it. And to watch Molly and Poppy together is um, quite magical. Uh, don't get me wrong, it's also quite challenging in the sense like the other day I took one was competing at one venue, the other one was competing uh, somewhere else, you know, sort of an hour and a half away at different ends of the day. But they were they were great. They supported each other. One would help the other get ready. Um, you know, they've got their own Instagram. Uh, dressage with the pals um which they've just recently set up and that sort of tracking their journey through the affiliated competitions um and uh you know molly alone's got i think about ten thousand instagram followers so they uh they have a lot of fun um putting this together um and uh poppy is very lucky because obviously her elder sister is sort of carving the the pathway in front of her um and uh i think uh yeah she she she's like a sponge she learns she watches everything she's also got molly's old ponies when she moves off of them <laughs> so that's quite lucky <laughs> that's it she's really lucky i know molly's putting all that hard work in well but molly's like she's gonna have mine <laughs> when she moves up to juniors and and riders she'll be stealing my horses and and obviously, uh, be under 25. Um, Katie, there's something I wanted to ask you actually about your coaching. Um, and I know you do a lot of coaching, and I'm desperately to, <laughs> desperate to come down and have some lessons because I, I, I know that you're fantastic at it um, because of the way you are as well. Um, but how do you think having your kids bringing them up has translated into your coaching? Do you think it's do you think it's made you a different coach to what you would have been without them? Um, yeah, potentially. I think I think with, 
with children, they're real levelers, aren't they? I think you, you have to learn to be patient. You have to multitask. You have to have this ability to, you know, one's asking you one question, one's asking you something else, and then your phone's ringing or something else happening. That ability to sort of spread yourself quite thin. Um, I think in terms of how you coach children and young adults is relatively different from how you'd coach an adult, I think. I think you have, I have a slightly different approach to how I do it. Um, but then I think from my coaching style and my sort of ethos, it's very much uh, an, an individual thing. Um, how does that person learn? Um, what's their sort of motivation and goal? Um, and, and really understanding what makes them tick. I think that's really important that you build a relationship. You know, I get a lot of riders that have, um, that lack confidence or have had a few wobbles or others that need to be pushed in a certain direction, others that want to achieve a certain goal in a certain time frame. That's four very different types of people. Um, so I think with being a mum and, and sort of having to use a lot of empathy, I think that does absolutely translate to coaching. Um, that's my personal style. And do you have like a certain type of person or ho- rider horse combination that you prefer to coach? Is there like when when you get someone come through the door that is this, you're like, yes. Is there any of those? People that really are passionate about it, that really want to be there, that have a goal in mind that's realistic. Um, sometimes you get people saying, well, I want to be doing uh, Grand Prix by the uh, end of next year. And you're thinking, well, the horse is probably working at elementary. So I think that, that's quite a difficult well, Katie, we all, we all want that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really about, it's mindset. It's people are investing their time and effort and money in it. You want to be able to make a difference to the horse and rider. You want to feel that every session you do, you've made an improvement and that they feel inspired when they go away. That's what it's got to be about. And if you're not doing that, I've got a practical question actually to ask you about um, mums in particular. And we get a lot of messages already on, we've had a lot of messages already on social about how difficult it is to get going. We actually did a podcast about this, um, to get going after you've had a baby because your muscles are like jelly in a lot of places. Um, Have you got any advice? Because having had three kids and being a coach yourself, on how to get back to riding form and if it ever does if you ever do <laughs> yeah I absolutely think you do um let's take a scenario where you perhaps haven't ridden for a number of months you may have had a c-section or you you've physically gone through a lot right so I would start initially by doing some groundwork with the horse um and actually spending some time um, working them, watching them from the ground. I don't mean lunging them with an inch of their life. I mean some, some poles, some long lining. Even if they're sensible enough, you can walk them up and down the driveway or 
up and down the path or whatever. Just spend some time. It will get you fitter. It will get you back to being around the horse again. If, for example, you haven't been doing that side of it. Um, I, if you're nervous about getting on board, get someone else to get on board and watch the horse be ridden. I think that's quite useful. And I think that's something that people shouldn't shy away from. Um, have survived on the ground the first few times you ride. And do it in bite-sized pieces. Don't go, well, I'm going to go and ride the dressage test next week. You know, do 10 minutes and get off. That's okay. The horse isn't going to mind whether he's done 10 minutes or 40 minutes. But just give yourself time to adjust back to it. Yeah, just not not try to rush it and not try to think, I've got to be back at that competition and put too much pressure on yourself. Some people are lucky and they ping back to shape and they're back on horses within a heartbeat. But others aren't. Um, and you have to go at your own pace. Hey, AC, that is our, that's our clip <laughs> right there for our mums and followers. That's our clip. Um, <laughs> that's the best advice ever. The groundwork, the groundwork. <laughs> Katie, I've just, Katie, I've just got to tell you quick. My um, thoroughbred got kicked in the field and he has got a fractured pelvis. And so... I'm going to take that advice and hopefully he will come back at some point and I can start off with the ground stuff, which I think is a really great shout. So I think it'll work when, whether you've had a baby or your horse is injured. No, but I think it's, it's about this pressure, isn't it? Putting too much pressure on ourselves. So suddenly we've got to be back and in the saddle and doing X, Y and Z. That just, it doesn't really matter what the time frame is, but just be kind to yourself. Um, and the horse won't care whether it's, you know a short session or a long session agreed talking of giving yourself time katie what does what does the time of 2024 look like for you for nodwood house for your family what what's happening for you this year well i'm super excited about this year um i personally i need to lose weight let's be honest we've all piled on well i have piled on a few pounds um and so my goals for this year are to lose weight and to ride one of my horses in tailcoats. So I want to ride the PSG on one of my uh, more advanced horses. That's a, that's a personal goal that I set myself. Um, and I, I don't know about other people, but I'm very much, if I can get myself in the right mindset, get myself fit and healthy, that triggers a lot of other stuff for me. Um, so I sleep better, I feel better, um, I have more energy. And um, so that is my personal goal, is um, to wear my tailcoat and uh, ride for one of my PSG, but I have to be lighter than I currently am in order to do it. Um, so that's a personal thing. Uh, Coaching-wise, I'm doing my next level of British Dressage exams. Um, and I've got my final piece of my setter piece coming up. So I hope to get both of those in the bag for 2024. Um, rehabilitation wise, continue to work with some lovely clients, um, and help them, um, improve, uh, their horses that are on their own journey. So, uh, that piece, uh, is obviously ongoing. Um, to continue to improve and enhance Nodwood, um, uh, we've got some really exciting additions to our 
dressage arena outside. Uh, we are basically simulating an international arena here uh, with judges' boxes, flowers, music, mirrors. Uh, so we're really, really lucky to be able to train in the best facilities we can. Um, and uh, from the girls' perspective, with their riding, uh, Molly has ambitions of uh, trying trying out some of the team selection. And Poppy wants to continue, obviously, on her journey with her affiliated competition. Um, so we actually have a really busy year year coming up, um, and we're really excited about all of that. But in there, it's really important to carve out the time that I spend it with my boys as well. So with Anthony and Freddie, um, and that we build in family time as well. So uh, I was really clear as I closed out 2023 what were my goals for 2024 and in order to achieve those goals i've had to say no to certain things and i'm only now in my 40s learning to say no um i've always been someone that said yes 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 i'm going to do more 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 but actually you end up not being able to achieve some of the things you want to achieve or disappointing others in a way that you can't just simply do everything. So, uh, yeah, it is back to that sort of corporate upbringing of having goals and, and sticking to them. Um, but I do find personally that one is interconnected to the next. Um, and I've been very clear about what I want to achieve in 2024, which I'm really excited about. I, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you. I'm. I know. I'm. <laughs> I feel like all of these things are just like um, we're going to be on the sidelines cheering for you all, <laughs> which would be amazing. Well, I think this has been such an interesting episode, and I hope for our listeners that you know they've just really enjoyed getting to know you a bit more and getting to hear a bit more about Nodwood and and your family. Um, is there any? We always end an episode with one lasting question um and this question maybe you feel like you've got too many things you'd want to say for this but we always ask what is the advice you would give to any expecting equestrian parents I feel like you've got a wealth of things that you could tell us but if there was one thing what would it be um get prepared in the sense that you've got lots of support around you for people you know in terms of help so help with baby help with horse and don't be afraid to ask for help i was always like oh i'm not sure i can do it all myself i'm going to do it every single bit i'm going to do it myself actually when your friends say if can they help say yes and do take them up on that offer and don't try and be a hero of trying to do it all yourself um you will go through um, highs and lows, a lot of highs, deep deprivation, um, but my goodness, it's worth it. But I think plan ahead, get your support network good and strong, and get the sleep in before the baby arrives. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I think that that's amazing advice. I, 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 going back to what you said, that's what I'm going to take from this: is the pause. Take five minutes a day to just pause. I love that. I absolutely love that bit of advice. I think. We've all had quite a lot of advice from this podcast. And Katie, you continue to inspire us. You're absolutely amazing, as are your lovely family. Um, if anybody ever wants a lesson from Katie, they get in touch with Nodwood House because 
you will love it there. But don't tell her that you want to do Grand Prix before the end of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Thank thank you so, so much. We've absolutely loved having you on and best of luck with everything this year. Thank you so much. That's the Equestrian Mums Club. Katie, what do I need to say now? Uh, We'll see you on the next episode. (laughs) Thanks for listening to another episode from the Equestrian Mums Club. It's been great to have you along for the ride. We've been your hosts, Katie Allen-Clark and Sophie Conway. Make sure to hit the follow button to hear more from us as we dig deeper into the world of ponies and parenthood. And until next time, stay smiling, safe and stay sane.